I started using the Christian Standard Bible in my personal reading times and quickly fell in love with its blend of accuracy and readability, so much so that I decided to introduce it to my church family in my preaching, and they quickly fell in love with the CSB as well. Folks, we can't stress it enough. The need for a faithful translation that is also a joy to read is of utmost importance, especially knowing research shows the necessity of Bible reading for spiritual growth. Not Another Baptist this podcast is thrilled that LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible agreed to sponsor us, and we commend this version to our listeners and ask that you check out csbible.com or the link in our show notes to find out more. Until then, let's dive right in. Kyle, hit it! Welcome to the train wreck, folks. It's time for another episode of Not Another Baptist Podcast, a podcast exploring church revitalization, church planting, and other Southern Baptist goodies for your ear holes. And today, folks, y'all are in for a treat. But first, the formalities. I'm Matt Hensley, pastor of Mayhill Baptist, and I'm joined by Kyle, non-alcoholic beerman of First Baptist Alamogordo. We're both pastoring fantastic churches in southern New Mexico and trying not to drown in the waters of church revitalization and are glad you joined us for an episode discussing church revitalization, planting the gospel. All right, that's enough. Okay. That's enough. enough. Enough of the intro because we have some really good news, and that is that you, our listeners, are not just stuck with us today. We're, we're joined by a very, very special guest, Dr. J.D. Greer. Absolutely. It is an honor to welcome Pastor J.D. Greer to the podcast. Dr. Greer, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what's been happening in your life out there on the east of Texas part of America. That's how the whole world is, right? It's either impact. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I guess my first question is not another Baptist podcast. What was the original ba Baptist podcast that you're reacting <laughs> to? Uh, all of them. Oh, <laughs> any, any, anything that has Jonathan Howe's name on it is the original Baptist <laughs> podcast. The, the, the idea was kind of set up as a joke. We were going to set all of this up and, and build it up, build it up, build it up. And then we were never going to release an episode because we were, after all, not another Baptist <laughs> podcast. But here we are here a few are. weeks well, in. I, I feel like I, I almost feel like whenever they do something connected to Texas, it's always I've got to establish my Texas credentials at first because I feel like <laughs> Texas really only want to hear from other people from Texas. So um, I'm from North Carolina. Uh, that's where I, well, it's just where I've, I've spent the last um, 42 years of my life with the exception of being on the mission field in, in uh, Southeast Asia and then being a youth pastor. Ironically enough, at, at um, the very uh, school, um, my first ministry assignment was as a youth pastor at a church plant in a school that met at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, which is, you know, wow. that yeah. tragically in the news. And so I'm very familiar with that place. But um, yeah, anyway, so I, I passed for the Summit Church, um, was formerly called Homestead Heights Baptist Church. I think technically that's still our name of incorporation. So I think the IRS knows this as Homestead Heights Baptist Church. Um, and I've been there, been here since 2002. Uh, so that's what, 16-ish years. And uh, I've been married for 18 years uh, to... Uh, Veronica and I have four kids. The oldest of which is 22. No, I'm kidding. The oldest of which uh, <laughs> is 14. And I have three girls: 14, 14, 12, 10, and the youngest is eight, and he's my son. Awesome, cool. Um, all right, so so real quick, let let's just talk about your your heart. So in in the nomination that that was put out there for you for the SBC president, it said JD walks the walk and talks the talk when it comes to evangelism. 
and, and missions. And then I love this line. It says the tongue in his mouth and the tongue in his shoe go the same direction. So I mean, I'm using that in a sermon <laughs> like that. So somehow that's going to get in a sermon sometime. Um, so, right. so, I mean, you've been, you've been there for 16 years. You've, you've driven the, the leadership and the vision of, of Summit Church. So how have, how would you say that evangelism and missions have become your heartbeat there at the summit? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, that line is from Ken Witten. And if you know Ken Witten, that is vintage Ken Witten. He turns a phrase like that. But yeah. So, you know, I, for me personally, um, my life was, I mean, I, I feel like the word wrecked is way overused, but I, my life was wrecked in college just through um, really discovering, I mean, the truth that 2.2 billion people in the world had never heard the name of Jesus. Uh, Keith Green, I don't know if you know him, that's an old uh, singer. He's like a hippie singer that um, came to faith in Christ. And he, he just talked about that. And Jim Elliott reading, you know, the stories of him uh, taking the minute, uh, the word to the Alka Indians, it just, I was in school to be a lawyer and I thought, um, I'm not really sure why I want to do this. Nothing wrong with law, but when there's that many people in the world. And so that's what led me to um, the IMB, which, you know, I spent my first two years over in Southeast Asia. Um, it's interesting because I feel like God called me to the ministry by calling me to the mission field. And he's never released me from that call to the mission field. And the way that I fulfill my call to the mission field is as a pastor now who has a church that I believe you say our top priorities is going to be, you know, sending is, is in the very echelon, top echelon of those. I always feel a little bit lame when I, uh, when I hear a pastor say, Oh, you know, my part for the mission field is to be a pastor in America with all the comforts and privileges, but I don't know. I can't judge everybody else, but I know that this is where God has me for now because when um, I came back from overseas, I was doing my PhD work at Southeastern. Um, which is like Southwestern, but a step up. I don't know. If I <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> well done. Well played. So anyway, but um, I was doing that. And um, th there was this church that was called Homestead Ice Baptist Church. It was called that was had been without a pastor for like three and a half years. And um, they had a little spot in the in the in the budget for a college pastor. Um, it was one of those things that gets put in a church budget and they just forget to take out. And it's been in there for like a decade. <laughs> Nobody's like deleted it. So I was like, Hey, I want that job. So, um, you know, I go into the first, the, the class, the first day, the college class, and there's two people in there. Um, one of them was at Durham technical college. The other one was had dropped out of college and they were engaged to each other. So it, it didn't have a lot of bright college co prospects, but, um, I just really had this sense of like, man, Raleigh Durham is 120,000 college students live in Raleigh Durham at any given point. And I thought, man, what if God, what if God did something here? And so eventually that turned into this church calling me as the pastor, which was, probably more of a surprise for the congregation, even more so than it was for me, because uh, this was more of a, I mean, I want to say uber traditional church, but it just, you know, it was a, it was a kind of a plateaued Baptist church that had been in existence for 40 some years. And they were looking for, you know, what every Southern Baptist church like that is looking for a 38 year old Adrian Rogers, um, who is going to be a part of this 300, you know, person church. So, um, anyway, I, I preached my first year in a suit and tie. And, and, um, so what's interesting in it, is that um, we took uh, that first year, we took a, a group of about 40 overseas to work with the, the IMB. And what was amazing was how that ignited this fire for missions in our church. Um, I mean, our Lottie Moon offering that year was the biggest um, it had ever been in the history of the church. And in fact, I think I got a plaque somewhere in my office here that it says that we were the highest church giving per capita of the IMB. 
And that was because they saw it. You know, they saw what was going on out there. Um, and it, it about broke the church to get those 40 people over there. Um, well, so between that and um, Keith Idol, uh, who was you know professor at Southwestern, he was the former interim pastor there. Um, it just really infused into this church a, a vision and a heartbeat for missions. You add to that the calling that God had put on me. Um, I mean, those things just all kind of come together. It's interesting now because, you know, now probably a fifth of our, our audience is a college student, you know, on any given weekend. Um, these are naturally people who are mobile and they're going somewhere. So we always tell them, like, you got to get a job somewhere. Why not get a job in a place where God's doing something strategic? We always say, you know, um, to what it means to follow Jesus is to do what you do well to the glory of God and then do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. And so we've got all these naturally mobile students. And so we just we say, why not spend the first two years of your postgraduate life? Why not spend it on one of our church plants? And that, that vision is really caught on. It's caught on with like real adults also because they <laughs> a lot of these church plants. We've had to kind of limit. It's not almost ironic. We've tried to limit the number of people that um, these guys recruit on their team to be in like 25 or 30. <laughs> so many people that are excited to go and be a part of these church plants and places. So anyway, that's probably a lot more than you were asking for. But that's that is what well, it is. Most definitely. It, it surely is. Now, I, I just, as soon as you said, you know, a 38 year old Adrian Rogers, I said, that, that's just me and for oh, you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, clear, no. uh, I, I suspect that. I, had that beard. Yeah, he, he obviously had the beard inside. It was inside <laughs> of his soul. Uh, I, I suspect that our three communities couldn't be more different. I'm in the mountains close to God in a population of 57, probably the size of some staffs and churches out there. Kyle is in the desert close to the devil in a population of 40,000. You're in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, close to liver, liver mush population 2 million, though in completely different contexts. I have two questions. First sure. is, do you eat liver mush? And then second, what do you think must be the same in all three of our churches in order to advance the kingdom? <laughs> yeah, great question. First of all, I'm not exactly sure what liver mush is, but just putting the Lord. together, I would say that that is not an appealing thing to eat. You know, yes. mush liver is another. Just why? Why make the combo? <laughs> okay. I am from West Virginia, though. If that if that helps, I was born in West Virginia, so mountains close to God. I feel like we we have that in common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah. So what is the same? And I feel like this almost it comes out like a preacher answer. So I apologize, but I mean, the Great Commission has nothing to do with size of churches or personality of the population you minister among. The Great Commission is that we raise up disciple-making disciples. And that looks the same in a group of five as it does in a group of 5,000. And so I, I almost feel like sometimes the larger a church gets, the more, uh, the easier it is to get away from the heart of the Great Commission, which is disciple-making disciples, because it just becomes easier to put on a program on the weekend that has guest services and kids stuff that's good enough that, you know, people will want to come just for their, you know, weekend religious entertainment. Um, I, I fight hard at this church to get us back to those values that we had at the very beginning, which is that there were 300 people in um, the church when I became pastor. And it was just like, we knew, we knew that 300 knew we were the ones that were responsible um, to get the gospel to our community. And now in a church, as it gets larger, they're like, oh, it's somebody else's you know job to do that. Pastor will do that. I'll, uh, I'll just bring them to hear the pastor. But all that to say is I think what's in common is raising up leaders, disciple-making disciples. And one of the things we try to say, we, we end every single service at the Summit Church with this phrase, every single one, you are sent. You are sent, which means that every member is sent, whether it's 
you know, to Raleigh, whether it's to the workplace or whether it's to Dubai, and they're sent to, to do what they do well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Awesome. Cool. All right. So, so Matt and I are both big baseball fans and uh, Durham has a kind of well-known uh, baseball team there. So the, the SBC nomination sometimes ends up sounding like the back of a baseball card, right? Here's, here's your stats. Um, you know, this church baptized this many people, planted this many churches, written this many books, ate this many waffles in Matt's case, <laughs> who's on his 1800 uh, days straight of eating a waffle. That's fantastic. I, <laughs> I, I have I have slept for at least eighteen hundred days straight. So, um, so so Summit gave three point eight million to uh, Great Commission causes like Cooperative Program, Annie Armstrong, Lottie Moon, etc. You guys baptized six hundred and thirty people last year. You've planted almost two hundred fifty churches since since you've been there. By the way, the entire Baptist Convention of New Mexico has two hundred thirty churches in it. Uh, oh, so you, you guys have planted the, the state of New Mexico. Uh, since, since you've been there. So man, all these numbers, I mean, they're, they're awesome numbers, but, but which one of these, or, or is there another one that just puts a smile on your face and makes you say, man, that's why we do what we do at the summit. I mean, it's hard to just get away from hearing, um, a testimony of somebody who's come to faith in Christ and you realize like, man, that's, um, you know, sort of, a, in reverse, I remember this statement by, um, I remember this statement by Joseph Stalin who I typically don't quote on Baptist podcasts, but just, <laughs> he always said the death of one is a tragedy. The death of a million is just a statistic. You went, when you say things like what you call the baseball card, 238 churches or wherever, wherever that number was and this many people or whatever, it's just like, I mean, those numbers just become stats, but then you see the face of one, um, you know, one of our, our church plants will send us back a video of somebody come to faith in Christ. And I'm like, that's why we do what we do. Um, I mean, it's, you know, or, I, or I'll get stories from some of our people on the field. Um, I mean, it's, it's really the stories are only told one at a time and the joy is not found in the number the joy is found in the individual, you know, for that one of there was a very strategic moment that happened in the life of our church. I tell sometimes where, um, I think it was the first year I was pastor. Um, I'd led this, uh, essentially as a college student to Christ through a basketball ministry that I'd, I'd started and I certainly don't do that anymore because, uh, well, um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, I might lead people to Christ, but I don't do it in the basketball. Man. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this, uh, he was, he was an African-American guy, um, baptized him. As far as I know, it was the first African-American that the church had ever baptized and standing up there in front of everybody. Um, he gives his testimony. It was just beautiful and it was moving. And, um, uh, after the, the service, this, one of our older members comes up, one of the original 300. And um, he comes up to me, he says, son, he says, you know, I don't like a lot of these changes you've been making in our church. And I said, yeah, I, I know. And he said, um, he gets all choked up and he points at the baptistry and he says, but if that's what we're going to get right there, then you can count me in for all of them. You know, because it's that it's that joy of one that gives you the ability to change and it gives you the ability to, to, to strive and to stretch and to, and to push for, for more. So that, that's how I'd answer that. Awesome. I was I was really hoping you were going to say that uh, it was the new book that you wrote. Uh, oh, that yeah. was why you do what you do. No. <laughs> that would have made an easier transition Perfect. for me. So thank you so much, Pastor JD. Uh, Pastor let's talk Pastor. about that. Let's let's talk about that for for just a moment. The new book is called Not God Enough, and I'm flipping through it. I don't see any pictures, but from what I've read to this point, it is fantastic. Even though there aren't any pictures, just A42 keep. Forty two is a scratch and sniff. So if you scratch that, it'll. It's uh, it smells amazing. Thank you. Uh, not God enough. Why your small God leads to big problem. What 
what is it about and what, uh, why, why'd you write it? Yeah, so it really is kind of, I don't want to call it a spiritual autobiography because it's not all about my life, but it kind of is um, an autobiography in one sense of the faith struggles I've had for the last two decades, even after being a pastor. The basic gist of it is that all of our spiritual problems go back to a view of God that is too small. And what I mean by spiritual problems, I mean things like doubt, um, apathy, purposelessness, um, feeling insignificant, dissatisfaction. Ultimately, if you trace them down to the root, it's a view of God that is that is too small. We what we've done is we um, because we're idolaters and because we're Americans, we like to reduce God to basically being a slightly bigger, slightly smarter version of us, who you know who we can understand, who we can comprehend, who does things basically like we would do them, whose ways are pretty easy to ex, you know explain, and we can predict them and control them. But that's just not the God of the Bible. Um, you know, Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, which means that your knowledge of God can't really go farther than your fear of God. And fear of God just means a recognition of his, of his size. That was the step I tried to skip in my faith because I thought, well, you know, I should be able to understand exactly what God is doing. And if God doesn't do it the way that I think he should do it, then maybe he doesn't really exist at all. Even after I'd come to, you know, be solid in my beliefs, you know, after college where I was like, okay, um, you know, Jesus really did rise from the dead. Even then I had trouble. I had trouble sometimes feeling close to a God that just confused me because I just assumed like it, he should make sense to me. And so what I try to show in this book is that ultimately um, it's what A.W. Tozer says um, is that the most important and formative thing about our faith is how we see God. And for most of us, we have a God that is too small. He's not God enough. And if you can enlarge your view of God, then a lot of things, I don't want to say that it'll make sense to you, but a lot of the Bible and a lot of the Christian life will start to, to come into focus because of who you discover God to be. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about SBC president stuff for a second. Now, now, and I see you're clearly not wearing a vote for JD Penn. Um, so, and, and, and I'll, and and I'll put it. <laughs> so, There's so, your Texas roots. <laughs> so, and, and, and Hensley and I, I'm sorry to say, have already endorsed Wiley Drake for president. So I'm sorry that we that we can't. Twice. <laughs> I mean, I was nominated for second vice president. What I think it was 2000. I don't know. Five. And lost to Wiley Drake. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm sorry. We, we, our endorsement is already is already locked up there. Yeah, sorry. But, um, <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, you've had a huge, huge emphasis throughout your ministry on the gospel above all. And, and, and so it's one thing to say it. What does that look like as the SBC president? How, how does that I mean, what is your vision for the for the SBC? Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, Paul in First Corinthians says that the gospel is of first importance, right? Which means that there's a lot of important things in the Christian life and in doctrine, but it's first importance is going to be the gospel. And it doesn't mean it's the only thing that's important or the only thing we should ever talk about. I'm not trying to reduce it down to that, but I do say it's the basis of our unity and the substance of our mission. Um, you know, uh, Dr. Paige Patterson, who was my um, PhD mentor at Southeastern, I think he has some connection over there to Southwestern, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, but uh, Dr. Patterson, you know, he used to always say that um, different levels of unity require different levels of doctrinal conformity. So what is it in the SBC that really unites us? Um, well, I think it's the gospel and the Baptist faith and message. Um, you know, the Baptist faith and message, I've always you know, felt like it's narrow enough that it unites us on the essentials, but it, it is broad enough. 
that it, it includes people that may, you know, do worship differently and may um, have a different um, strategy in evangelism. It, they have, uh, they may may parse the honor point of catechism slightly differently, and they may um, they may view the rapture and eschatology from a different lens. Um, I have opinions about all those things, but you know, I feel like that's the gospel of all ought to be the basis of our, our unity. What I don't mean by that is that different um you know that when it comes to the essence of the gospel that jesus you know died for all people that we're responsible to preach repentance and faith to all people that we're responsible to call for conversions i mean those things are our baptist essentials and i want to see us elevate the mission of the gospel above everything else um politics is not supposed to define the svc right, uh, right? Uh, you know a particular angle on calvinism shouldn't define it nor should it be like that's the pro-trump or the never trump group you know it's just it's just, it ought to be like hey here are reasons why some people are this way and this way but what unites us we, we don't ha- want to have we get we get a very limited bandwidth when it comes to what we get to say to the world and i want to use a hundred percent of that bandwidth to be that jesus christ died for sinners and he calls them to repentance and faith i don't want to use it for anything else uh, i have an opinion on global warming right but I always tell our church, I might be wrong in my opinion on global warming, but I am not wrong about the gospel. So I will not let my opinions on the former keep people from hearing me as a pastor on the latter. Yeah. Awesome. And, and along with that, you have uh, listed there on your side a few of the focuses uh, like racial, cultural diversity, evangelism, church planting and revitalization, college mobilization, engaging the next uh, generation as some of the things that you would uh, focus on, if you will, as a, if you were elected uh, president, while all of that uh, certainly gets an amen and, and a yes and amen for uh, from us uh, as church revitalizers, and and I uh, am part of a, a church planting board, uh, keeping that kind of as the focus. What what will you do from that uh, position, if you will, or that opportunity or that privilege to lead uh, to champion the cause of church planting and revitalization? Yeah, well, it's very easy for me to do that simply because, um, you know, I'm very personally involved in both of those things. Um, I didn't plant this church. You know, I don't, I don't know if that came out in the story earlier. I revitalized. My, my intention was to plant. But then I was like, well, this church, you know, it's just a group of 300 people that are ready to go. And so uh, a lot of our people that come through um, this, uh, our, our church residency, a lot of them will end up you know, revitalizing. And so, um, in fact, some of what I uh, have tried to write and put out there has been like, how do you, what are the, what are the principle, what are the irreducible principles um, for, you know, revitalization, different situations are going to be different, but what are the, the essence of it? Um, so I, you know, I'd love to see that. Our, our, our mission is to plant a thousand churches um, over our lifetime, you know, out of the summit church. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, we realized, especially because of our history, that, man, if we're going to be healthy in that, it would include um, some active efforts toward revitalization. And so we're doing some mentorship. And I would just love to see those things encouraged. I think the North American Mission Board has positioned themselves very well to to assist churches. I even appreciate their language in it. They're like, we're not trying to plant churches. We're trying to assist the local church in planting churches and leading in revitalization. So I feel really good about where things are set up. And I just hopefully ready to pour some fuel under the fire. Um, You know, when it comes to church planting, one of the things that has just been really, really good that I think Baptists have gotten hold of is that, you know, the local church is God's plan A for reaching any community, which means that um, if you want to reach a community, don't do a big evangelism rallies, as good as those are, plant more churches. I mean, you should do both, but, you know, the the focus ought to be planting churches. And so, man, um, you know, the essence of planting churches is making disciples. So I want to be clear with that too. That's probably 
uh, point number three or four down in there is that, you know, I have seen before where sometimes people get so into church planting that they learn how to go in and send out a mailer and do an Easter egg, you know, hunt and get 300 people there for their first service. And essentially just attract bored Christians from other churches. I mean, it's you know basically the, the point in all of this is to make disciples of the lost who will go out and make disciples. But church planting is just the most effective means of doing that. Awesome, man. Uh, I, I'm trying to think back of some of the things that we learned uh, today from Pastor J.D., one being that he's wearing a vote for J.D. belt buckle. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I remember that, uh, that liver mush uh, is is not a good thing because right. those are combining two things that should not be. Two, uh, two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah, two <laughs> wrongs exactly don't make a right. right. That's a good way to put it. That's how I'll teach my kids. Uh, what what else have we learned, Kyle? Uh, man, I, I've, I've learned... Um, that I'm Adrian Rogers. Oh, that you're. Oh, yeah. that's right. I was. Uh, come on, I was, man. That's I how I took to, it. I, I was <laughs> trying, man. Man, I was trying to boil down everything into a sentence. I was. I was thinking serious. Oh, he was focused sorry. and serious. I'm, I, I, I'm the reason this is a train wreck, by the way. Uh, but uh, we we have learned a lot, uh, Pastor JD. Thank you for thank taking you. the time to to visit with us uh, and encourage our listeners with the uh, the work that God is doing in and, and through. And as I like to say often. Of uh, and Kyle and, and myself and the churches that we're called to serve. And we thank you uh, for listening in today because we know there are a billion other things you could be doing, but you took the time to listen to this train wreck, this dumpster fire. We hope that it was somehow helpful and brought you some encouragement. And if you haven't, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast feed you use and visit us online at www.notanotherbaptistpodcast.com or on Twitter at NAB underscore podcast. Until next time, Kyle, do it. May your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. For the first time, folks, he got it right. right. That's right. (laughs) Thank you, JD. Y'all have a wonderful day. Hey, man, I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot.